welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hello, Paul. What's going on? How you doing today? Uh, doing well. Fantastic. Um, another long week. Um, I went back to work. Um, well, I shouldn't say back to work. I've gone to uh, back to work at my office in New York City several times this week. Um, a little bit tiring, but productive. Um, I find it helpful um, when I go in. You never know who you're going to run into or who's traveling around or, or what conversations will spark. So I, I was pretty excited to be back in. I'm looking forward to, to kind of keeping that trend going. Uh, what's happening with you, Paul? Uh, well, I actually didn't go into the office this week. I went in last week. And, uh, you know, as more people are going in, they seem to, some of them have forgotten how to connect their workstations to their environment. So we get phone calls on that. Um and then the other thing I guess I would say is, you know, financial lessons learned. You know, I'm anyone who listens to the show knows I uh, monitor my credit report quite closely, uh, probably a little too obsessively. And I, I'm starting to see an interesting pattern with uh, some of the credit card companies, how they report. It is not a consistent pattern. That's what I'm finding. And some of them report quasi-monthly every 24 days. Some report... Uh, looks like every three months. So depending on your balance when they last reported, really can mess with your your credit score there. So it's kind of interesting. I, I think I'm going to try and discern what the real paradigm is and share it with our listeners. But uh, been playing with that again. Very cool. If you can unwind those patterns, um, that would be amazing. Um, I know they're quite complicated. That's from my understanding. But uh, maybe that's another topic we'll revisit on the show. I know we talked about credit reporting in the past. Maybe at some point we'll do an update on it. Sounds good. Very, very cool. Very cool. Well, today's podcast is with Anthony Delaney. Uh, we are going to talk to him about his financial concept of owning the dash, developing the mindset necessary to own the dash between your start and your end dates. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story, Paul, was from Barron's, and it was want to buy a retirement retreat? Here are some risks and costs to consider first. And, and Paul, you sent me the story. Um, you, say you, you occasionally during the week, so we are exchanging stories and such. Um, very interesting article. Talks about spending guidelines, right? Making sure that you're spending properly and within your means. Um, it could be challenging and expensive um, in terms of the extra insurance costs and such. Um, I think the one thing I took away from this was I have hesitated to buy a second home for what they cite in the article, right? If for me, it's not the price of the home at the closing table when you when you buy the house. It's, it's the care and feeding on a monthly basis of all the expense that has held me back, right? So, you know, and I think in terms of, you know, renting out, that vacation home as kind of a side gig spare income. Um, good luck getting that Harley oil out of your hardwood floors, right? After someone decides to change their oil in your living room and you can't get any money back and the deposit is way less than redoing your hardwood floors, right? So I'm not sure if I'd be excited about renting out my vacation home to anybody. <laughs> so that option is off the table. Uh, Paul, what was your take on this article? Uh, so, so Paul, again, uh, you and I are similar mindset. I always worried about it. You know, I, I never did it because I was so worried about someone trashing the house. I'm not there. 
um, maybe a little overly obsessive about uh, something like that where I would worry similar. I don't think anyone would change the Harley oil in it, but uh, just getting trashed or a problem here and there, and then you got to go to it, and depending on how far away it is. So I was never comfortable with um, renting it out as a a retreat like that. No, I, I could never do that either. I could never do that either. Although I did buy a recent place, as you know. Yes. And uh, that is being rented. I don't look at that as a retreat. That's a, a future property that before I move there, will redo. And that's the difference. So right Got now, it. I kind of don't really worry about it. You know, we fix things that need fixing, whatever, but I'm not emotionally attached to it because it's not my retreat. It's not my my retirement home at this point. In the future, it will be after we redo it. And no, there will be no renting of it at that time because I'll be moving <laughs> very, to it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, the second article is from the Wall Street Journey, Journal. And I I think I found this. Someone had posted it on Facebook, Paul, in all, in all tran- full transparency. Retirees spend a lot of time and money to buy their forever home and then sell it. <laughs> so I thought of you a little bit. I know you're, you're, you do a lot, lot more due diligence than the average Joe in terms of this. Um, my takeaways from the article as I read through it is life changes um, may impact your reason to stay in a home. And it's usually the Ds, right? Death, dismemberment, uh, divorce, disability. <laughs> it could be, you know, all those Ds that kick in and the Gs, right? Which are the grandkids, Right. So, you know, everyone thinks they bought the perfect place. And then all of a sudden um, the the kids are in a totally separate location with the grandkids. And that's the holy grail. Right. Is to get to the grandkids. So I don't know, you know, and if you're not close to those grandkids, it could be a big bummer. Right. So that's kind of what I took away from it. It might not necessarily be which they do cite in the home that in the article that the home might be multi-level and you need a single level because there's a disability that's kicked in or whatever that is. I know there's structural reasons why people may sell and climate reasons why people may sell. But I think a lot of it comes down to personal and what happens in life and including the grandkids. Paul, what was your take on this story? Yeah, I remember this article. Um, It it was very good. And the couple that they follow, or at least one of them that they follow in this article was talking about how they, did it um, many times. They keep buying their forever home and selling it because it's not right. So, yes, I, I think if you have grandkids, that would certainly a huge, huge draw, and that would be hard to um, to negate. But if, you, if you're doing a home and you're looking at a home as a retirement place, you should really consider it as what they call universal design. Universal design is kind of like you're saying single floor or, you know, building it with – uh, closet on top of closet, so first floor, second floor. So you could put a lift in there or an elevator if you wanted to in the future. Universal design is really neat. It's not just for people with disabilities. It could be used for anybody. And if anyone wants more information on it, just simply look it up, universal design, uh, zero-step showers, zero steps into the house, so that there are a lot of really neat things you could do to make it functional for people in that case. Um, I could probably do a whole episode on that because I spent months researching it. But uh, you have to know what you're buying and really go in there with, okay, if something does happen to one of us, what does that mean as far as functioning and livability in the home? 
Yep, absolutely. And I learned something new every day. I did not know about this concept of universal design, and that might be something we, we do want to talk about at some point in the future in, a, in more of a deep dive. So thank you for that, Paul. Um, with that, we'd like to now welcome to the podcast Anthony Delaney. Uh, we are going to talk to him about his financial concept of owning the dash, developing the mindset necessary to own the dash between your start and your end dates. Anthony is a financial advisor, a franchise business owner, and the author of three financial education books in the Owning the Dash series. He has worked in the financial services industry since 2003, helping families develop financial plans that comprehensively address their broad range of goals and dreams. Um, he has acquired the professional certifications of the uh, CFP, the Certified Financial Planner Practitioner, uh, Chartered Financial Consultant, Chartered Re Retirement Planning Cons Counselor, Retirement Income Certified Professional, and Behavioral Financial Advisor. He has made it his professional mission to help families make sense of and manage every aspect of their financial lives. Um, Anthony, welcome to the show. Paul and Paul, thank you so much for having me. Uh, that is it's, great. Uh, it's yeah. yeah, that's uh, a lot I'm, of acronyms. That's a no, lot of acronyms. I, I, I think it, the one thing that struck out to me is I know you have a family, Anthony, and I don't know how you fit all this in. I've been trying to write one book, and um, I, it's been six years now, right? I've been, I've been authoring this thing. Paul, I've talked about it on the show, but... Uh, amazing accomplishments here uh, in terms of uh, franchise business owner and financial advisor, writing books and getting all your certifications. And we'll touch upon all that stuff within the podcast today. Uh, but yes, welcome to the show. We, we love having you on here. Thank you. Um, honestly, it was interesting to hear you read it out loud. Uh, and uh, I was listening to your other parts and actually taking some notes. And you were talking about just the worries that, that go into uh, the buying the house and so forth. And just a, a little small side note on myself. Um, I was voted in my high school. They had superlatives back in the day. Uh, they, I was voted as the most worrisome person in our school uh, among my peers. <laughs> so um, when you're talking about worries, uh, uh, all those acronyms ne ne next to my name are, it's not so much to say, hey, look at me. It's more so trying. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding up a sign for the audience, and you'll see it on the video. Maybe we'll do a video snippet. Worry is a wasted emotion. Um, Anthony, I might have had you beat. <laughs> you definitely had me beat. Well done. Uh, so just um, – but uh, no, wonder, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Anthony, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, um, and what is the story and inspiration around owning the Dash? Absolutely. Um, so I actually started in the financial services industry right out of college. Um, and uh, while I was uh, uh, working, I basically started my own family. I got married, uh, had two children, uh, now I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. And in the process of um, working in the, as a financial advisor, I discovered that I really had a passion for helping families. I could relate to them. I could understand the, the trials that they're going through. I just love the idea of the Financial Dads podcast uh, for that reason. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, basically, I, I just really enjoyed all the different dynamics that go into helping families. Uh, it wasn't until 2015 uh, that I actually had a life event that actually changed the trajectory of how I, I view myself, view my life. Uh, and it was unfortunately a sad event. Um, I had a cousin. His name was Greg Plitt, uh, P-L-I-T-T. And uh, Greg was very famous in the fitness world. He was on the cover of over 250 fitness magazines. Um, and we basically grew up together. He was very, he was almost like an older brother to me. Mm. Uh, and for me being the worrier, the person who's worrying all the time, even in my professional life, 
uh, he was the, the, the opposite. He was the kind of very um, alpha, very kind of uh, positive and uh, confident in himself. So uh, we got along very well, but it's just very different individuals. Um, and uh, the event that took place in 2015 is he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly. So after he passed, um, I uh, started just uh, one of the things that he did during his life was uh, he had a website where members would email in questions on life and fitness, and he would do video blogs to answer those questions. So as a way of trying to remember my cousin, um, I, I started watching these videos and uh, I discovered as I was watching them that a lot of his fitness philosophies could also apply to the world of finance. And so I was thinking, how could I share this with others? Um, and the idea of putting it together into a book uh, came to life. And while I was writing the book, I watched one of his videos um, that was on the concept actually of debt. Uh, and it was, it was titled Owning the Dash. Um, and the whole idea behind the dash is that you have on your tombstone a birth date and a death date. And uh, the dash is the time in between. So it's basically taking ownership of that time. So um, Owning the Dash uh, basically came to life. Uh, the book came out in 2019, and um, it's all about helping families. It took my best practices on helping families uh, over my career as an advisor and applying his fitness philosophies. And a lot of individuals understand fitness better than they do finance in some areas. So um, uh, we, I brought that book out, and... Um, the Owning the Dash brand just kind of grew from there. Um, and since that time, I've written a children's financial or children's picture book that teaches a basic financial lesson. And next month, I'll be having the next book in the Owning the Dash series called The No Regrets Retirement Roadmap uh, coming out. That's all about the transition into retirement. So. Wow. Um, wow. That is that's yeah. powerful. And, and condolences. I, I know it's it, it's it, it was a while ago, but it always it's not easy. So thank you for sharing that story. That was awesome. I mean, in terms of you sharing, not awesome what happened. <laughs> Let me preface sure. that. Um, yeah. And we joked a little bit before the podcast started a little bit of uh, going back and forth as we were before we hit the record button. I'm familiar with the concept of the dash through uh, a sitcom that used to be on ABC called The Middle where Mike, uh, who is the dad, um, gives a toast at his brother's Rusty's wedding about, and it's this, you know, it's very touching in the end. It starts out comical, but it really focuses in on the importance of the dash. And that's what matters in life is that dash, not the before date and the end date, but that dash itself. And I, I just posted the link to YouTube on our Facebook page so people could check out what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really interesting in how, this concept and the way you've tied it to fitness, I could see that tie as well. That's very interesting. Paul, I'll let you chime in and um, on some of these pieces. Wow, thank you. Um, it, it, it really was. It, it um, as we were preparing, I was watching, you know, that middle clip that you posted, Paul, and um, I shared it with my wife, and she's like, "I remember that episode." But when you really listen to it, it's great, and this whole series around it and taking that and. I think it just must resonate with so many people. And I'm wondering, Anthony, when you, you know, you've been doing financial planning for, I think you said around 19 years or so now, and then you started with the, let's call it the DASH program. I don't know. I'm probably putting words in your mouth here. And now you're, you're sharing that with your clients now. Have you seen it resonate with them differently, especially like the retirement type planning or, or just in general? 
Um, absolutely. Uh, I would say that probably one of the things I've learned um, over all my years as an advisor, and one thing that I actually, uh, the, the concept really hit me with was just the idea of fear. I think a lot of me being the warrior, as I was explaining in the beginning, um, it, it's it's very easy to talk yourself out of um, uh, pursuing your passions or pursuing your goals or addressing your needs. Uh, whether when it comes to fitness, you know, you can find all sorts of excuses not to go to the gym. Uh, when it comes to finance, it's uh, it's really scary sometimes. I, I actually read recently that a financial advisor is actually scarier than the dentist. Uh, so oh yeah, I always thought the dentist was the scariest, but I, I, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yes, I would say that the what what I've learned uh, one of my designations is something called BFA, Behavioral Financial Advisor, which which sounds a little uh, interesting, uh, but I've learned over the years that behavior is as much or more so a, a key concept in financial planning um, as the money and the numbers. Um, if we think about what's happened just in the past few years and even this year. Um, we had COVID and trying to, to understand that world. It, it's very easy if you just turn on the TV to get very fearful of life, where, where things are going. It's just like every time we turn something on, there's another thing to worry about. Um, and what I've learned over my experience as an advisor is that emotion and good financial planning do not go well together. Um, uh, it's um, if we can kind of recognize those emotions and recognize that fear that, that's building up inside of us, uh, and uh, sometimes it's, it's good to have a partner or a, an advisor or something like that to help uh, just kind of give a third point of view. But um, to, to answer your question on have clients have noticed a difference, um, the very beginning of the, the original book was all about um, just this idea of taking ownership of what you really want um, and not being afraid to pursue it and not feeling that you don't deserve it. Um, I used a, a, a unique example uh, in the book where when I was um, going to the gym, well, when I started the whole writing the book, um, I would go to the gym and I would try to do my cousin's workouts, which were unique to me. I, I mean, he had all sorts of, had, I think, over 400 different workouts that you could do, which sounds crazy. Um, but as I was going, uh, there was a gentleman there that was just massive and he was um, uh Basically, he had a physique very similar to my cousin, Greg. And while every time I went in, I would see him and get upset. I would be like, why is he here? He's so much stronger than me. I don't deserve to be here. I would I would tell myself, I would put myself down. Um, and I would compare myself to others, which I think is another major thing that we do in society. Um, and then one day while I went to the gym, we ran into each other, this gentleman and I. And I just you know, started up a conversation, said, you know, you really setting a high bar for me. And he goes, no, no, I've been watching you and you've been, you've been doing great. And long story short, we became friends. And now every time I went to the gym, instead of being going in with that attitude of fear and anxiety, it was inspiration and excited to see him and motivated by seeing him. Um, and I, I think that's just the way I, the, owning the dash has really helped me to interpret life um, when, it, when it comes to all the different facets that we, the mindset we have going into the different goals and passions that we have uh, makes a major difference. Um, and words like family and tomorrow, uh, they can be major motivators, uh, but they can also be extremely good excuses. Uh, you know, uh, with your, my family, uh, I can always come up with an excuse. No, 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 I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to hang out with my kids instead or something like that. Um, 
And with finance, it's, uh, I'm not going to plan for the future because I want to have some fun now. Um, so, so yes, uh, I would say that owning the dash, uh, if there's something that families have taken away from it, it's just realizing this is your journey and, um, you own it. Yeah. The mindset is very interesting. It's funny. I was at the gym yesterday. I saw a gentleman that was about, I think that same type of scenario. I wasn't thinking through your lens, but I think subconsciously I was overworking out. So now I'm really sore. I'm paying for it today. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I could see how that ties in between the fitness and the finance. Um, one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is how does one apply this mindset that you're talking about of, you know, to personal finance at any age? Sure, absolutely. So um, I, the, going back to that concept of fear, I think one of the, the scariest things that uh, prevents people from getting into addressing their financial needs at any age um, is just looking at what the foundation actually is. The analogy I like to use is um, taking a puzzle box and throwing the puzzle boxes out on the table. I mean, initially, you just need to get that framework in place, and then it just gets easier and easier and easier. So the hardest part is really just getting that frame uh, put together. And if you can overcome that anxiety, um, it, it, there's n it's never too late to start. And yes, of course, it's a little easier if you start earlier, but I have worked with families that are nearing retirement, uh, even in retirement. Part of the reason that uh, the, the new book I have coming out, The No Regrets Retirement Roadmap, um, it is to really talk about really key decisions that uh, if you make the, these decisions properly, like when to take Social Security, how to start taking distributions from your retirement plans, um, when to start addressing the, the medical needs on, on making that transition, um, how to adjust your investment portfolios, all, all those kind of key variables, they can make a very big difference if you make them um, you know, in the years following up to coming up to retirement or the years soon after. So it's never too late to start, I think, is, is the idea behind it. Wonderful. Thank, thank, thank you. So if, if I were to throw another one at you here, um, you know, what would you say is the first priority you need to address the approach to retirement? Like, where, where do you get started? Um, it, it once again goes back to behavior. Uh, and I would say that with families, um, one thing that I've, I've discovered that's really important, and I think that this is also another thing that it causes people to try to not look sometimes is we all have visions of what we want for the future. Um, and uh, putting a, a framework around that vision, uh, especially in retirement, um, sometimes you have a vision and you might find out that your spouse or partner has a different vision. Uh, and that conversation doesn't always come up. I mean, they, they tell a lot of, for example, young individuals before they get married, um, you know, talk to somebody, make sure you talk out what, you know, do you want to have kids? Do you not want to have kids? Do you, do you, know, do you understand how you each manage money? It's, it sounds silly, but that same transition goes into retirement where if you don't have that discussion and have that vision, then one of two things can, can happen. Uh, one is that um, you suddenly go into retirement thinking, I'm going to do all these things, and you didn't talk to, to your partner about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's some conflict that, that erupts, or you be, can potentially become resentful and saying, this is what I wanted to do, but you're holding me back. Whereas if you have the conversation before you make that transition, um, it, it's, it, you know, you're on the same page together. You're working together. You have a, a, a path that you want to take. So I think that uh, it's very hard to plan for anything without having a foundation in place. And if you don't know where you want to go, um, it's very hard to kind of plan for that scenario. So 
building that vision and saying, this is what we know is a priority is, is, is the way to get it started. Wow. So, so you brought me back, I want to say 27 years now by, by one of your comments there. And when my wife and I were getting married, the church had us take a class and it was around talking about, you know, the kids, the planning and, and everything. I, I don't think the retirement part was a discussion, but it, it was really interesting that the, the church had us, you know, sit there and, and do these sessions. And fortunately, my wife and I were very much on the same page. And even as the kids got older, we started talking about retirement and, and things like that. What do we want? So we do continue to have that open dialogue. But in those sessions, some of the other couples just hadn't even talked about the basics, about finance, about kids. Like, oh my gosh, that's a huge thing. Like, you guys don't haven't talked about that yet. So, um, that that's wonderful, and, and I'm glad you you do that. And I, I just wanted to share that quick story there because it is so important, and that, that's probably where so many problems just happen, right? There's yeah, not even talking it out. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, no, I was going to say that lack of communication, which kind of leads me to a question around, you know, Anthony, why do you think couples are waiting so long or not discussing retirement planning, right? Like, why do you think that is is happening and what and what should they expect when transitioning? I guess it's really two questions in one. Sure. So um, one is it's it's kind of the uh, the phrase that I'm sure you two have heard as well. I wish someone had taught me this stuff when I was younger. Mm, um, yeah. uh, we don't really uh, discuss it in, in a school setting. Uh, we don't, uh, uh, we don't parents for, for a period of time. It seems to be a little less taboo to talk about, but most parents don't discuss finances with their kids. Um, and that, that's honestly part of the reason that uh, I've actually started to write children's picture books that kind of, um, I, the first one I wrote about was uh, essentially, uh, it's a, uh, and I won't go into the whole book, but 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 the gist of it is that uh, the book is about some relates to something called the marshmallow study. I don't know if you two have ever heard of that, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, the marshmallow study was basically done years back, where they put children in a room and they gave them a marshmallow and said, uh, uh, "I'll be back in a minute. If the marshmallow's still there, I'll give you another one." Hmm. And they studied to see which kids would uh, resist the temptation and other which kids would not. Um, and I, don't, to, I know I'm kind of going into the book, but the reason I bring that up is that to your point on why do people wait uh, on these things, um, we don't know how to deal with temptation at an early stage in life. And with money, when you start bringing in that paycheck, it's very hard. There's the world, a capitalist society is built around how can I get that money out of your pocket as quickly as possible? Hmm. Um, and it becomes very hard to look at that future thinking uh, type of environment. So um, uh, going back to, to the vision, it's really hard to save when you don't know why you're saving. If you don't have kind of a clear goal on, I'm putting money into this account, this, this 401k or this IRA for this purpose, um, the, and I know that by doing this, I'll be on track to retire by this point, or I'll be on track to fund my children's education by this point, or you know, we can buy the car or buy the house by this point. It, it just becomes very easy to say, you know what? Um, uh, I've got this money here available and I just saw this great pair of shoes uh, at the mall or, or whatever it might be. Uh, so purpose is, is really what it's all about. If you know why you're doing something, it's very easy to justify sticking to that course. Um, so, uh, 
that's temptation is the answer to your question. It's very easy to get tempted in this world and we don't learn how to address that temptation early in life. Understood. Understood. And I think that, you know, what you opened up a couple of different questions in my mind. So, um, personally, um, financial planning as a family affair, never did it with my, with my, with my parents. And then my father passed. And then I had to have that conversation with my mother. Um, and, and really, it was really around the basics, um, making sure that, you know, proper wills are in place, uh, durable power of attorney, uh, healthcare proxies, stuff that just didn't exist. My father passed unexpectedly. And then we, I looked at the paperwork that she had, he and she had, and I'm like, we got to do something about this, right? So, so I, I was able to have the conversation a little bit easier with my mother, a lot easier. I wasn't able to ever have this conversation with my father. It just wasn't something we were going to ever talk about. And there really, in full transparency, there wasn't much to talk about to begin with, right? There's, there was, there's really nothing there. So I never worried about it. But there are basics that you need to do, even if there's nothing there in terms of money. You got to worry about these other things that I cited. Um, I, the questions that come into my mind is, if you have a family that is not talking, how do you get them talking, right? How do you get them to the table to talk this through? What are some checklists and tips that you have? I mean, I just want to explore this whole family affair topic because it, it is interesting to me. And I have an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old. You know, when, when is it appropriate to have those conversations, right? So I know I hit you with a ton of stuff, Anthony, but I'd love to hear your, your, your voice and opinion when it comes to this from a professional recommendation. Uh, absolutely. Um, so one thing that I, that has come up over the years that uh, I think is really, uh, not only having the conversation with your kids, when do you, to, to that, to the last question you're asking, um, one thing that, that, uh, I, I think is very important to understand is that one, and as, as, as fellow dads, you can probably relate, uh, telling your kids what to do doesn't mean they're going to do it. Right. So if you, if you say do this, it, does, it doesn't mean they're going to follow that direction. And a lot of times when it comes to investing or, or financial planning, the first thing people think about is how, uh, how are my investments doing? I'm going to teach my child how to trade stocks or do this or that and the other. And, and yes, there are lots of apps that exist right now where, where parents can teach their kids how to trade. Um, I actually think that that can, also, can do more harm than good. Uh, and, and the reason I share that is going back to the other point you were making, financial planning is, is there's a lot of essentials that are more important to understand, especially at an early stage in life than the, the, the investment side of things. Investing is important, absolutely. But if you can teach your kids how to budget, how to think about what if scenarios, how to kind of um, uh, just just plan for themselves and actually get a game plan together versus just saying, I'm going to pick the hot stock of the week. Uh, it, it, it makes a major difference. Um, I wrote the original Owning the Dash book to help young families. And while I was writing the second book, uh, the idea of um, creating a children's picture book came to life, honestly, because my kids were asking me questions, not about finance, but just about life in general. And I realized they, they have a dad who's a financial planner who's been doing this for 19 years. And these concepts are things I need to discuss with them. I mean, they're now 10 and 12 years old. So what the, the whole idea, going back to the idea of the first book that I wrote, uh, Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game, is two kids uh, basically wake up one morning, they have a letter that's waiting for them, and uh, it invites them to play the Jelly Bean Game, where they come downstairs and in the kitchen, their, their mom's waiting with um, 
uh, 10 jelly beans each for each of them. And for every hour that they can resist, they get five more. Hmm. Uh, so uh, it, it kind of goes, what we find out in the story is, you know, if you can resist that temptation, uh, you'll see your pile grow. Whereas if you eat your jelly beans now, um, you, you're going to see your plates empty uh, in the next hour and the next hour after that. Uh, and it becomes even harder when maybe one sibling doesn't eat the jelly beans and the other one does. And the one who ate them has to watch the ones whose jelly beans uh, were saved grow and grow and grow. So why I bring up the story and, and that concept all goes back to the, the marshmallow study. Um, but why, why I bring up the story is that, yes, uh, the book was written to not only educate kids, not not talking specifically about money because kids don't earn money. Uh, so it's very hard to, to I mean, they understand how money works, but it's not a currency that they can relate to. Jelly beans and candy, they, they can have that as a currency. Uh, if you think back to Halloween, I, I don't know about the two of you, but for me, one thing I loved at, at the end of Halloween is getting together with my friends and trading candy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll trade you my uh, Jolly Ranchers for your uh, sweet duds or whatever it might be, um, milk duds. Uh, so uh, doing things that kids can relate to and actually can implement on their own, it, it gets them thinking. Uh, and more importantly, I, the books, yes, are definitely written to help educate young children, but it also kind of gets the parents thinking, uh, who am I being in this story right now? Am I being the, uh, the child that's uh, spending my money right now? And am I teaching my child that lesson? Or am I being the parent who's, who's showing what the other child did with uh, you know, saving and planning for the future and seeing what it will grow into? So um I think that it's just kind of basic lessons. We, we learn through storytelling. Uh, so um, uh, stories that make us think are definitely the ones that, um, that seem to last the longest. Uh, and kind of going back to the idea of trading, um, uh, I think that you, sometimes we can do harm to children by teaching them how to trade because uh, I won't speak to any apps or things like that, but some apps are built around encouraging you to trade as frequently as possible. They actually take in casino type um, uh, methodology where when you make a trade, you get a you know bells ring or things of that nature. That can be harmful to children uh, or, or to young adults because it, it encourages um, trading versus investing. Investing says, I, I'm, I'm taking a long-term approach to this, whereas trading is I'm allowing my emotions of whatever is going through the day to influence um, what I'm doing. Um, and that can be very harmful long-term. So... Uh, that was a long-winded answer to your to your multi-question. Uh, does that help or make sense? No, it does. Yeah, it does. It, it makes a lot of sense. And I think for me, um, I, I could relate. And I think I have it in my own family. I have you know, one child that is a spender, one that's not. Um, me and my brother, if he were here, he would admit that he is, he, he is the, the spender. He has accused me of, of still um, holding on to all my paper out money that I made when I was 12 and never spent it, but that, you know, it's like, haha. but I could see it. Right. And I think this also comes down to personality where some people are more risk adverse and some people have a higher risk threshold. Um, so I, I see that playing in. So how do you, how do you work with, with your, uh, clients in terms of, you know, in terms of their risk tolerance, it's just, I know it's another question I'm just kind of tossing out there at you, but, um, and it could be with the kids as well. How do you deal with somebody who's overly risk adverse? And how do you deal with somebody that is overly risky, right? Who, who no caution to the wind. So you are 
kind of in the middle there trying to, you know, work with your different individualized customers and giving that tailored advice. Like, how do you, how do you factor that in? And maybe how does that tie to owning the dash? Absolutely. So once again, it goes back to the idea of, um, if you have a purpose behind what you're doing, uh, then it's much easier to validate the rationale behind uh, the amount you're saving or how you're investing inside of that. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to um, different accounts that you have, a lot of people, some, one person might say I'm conservative. The other person might say I'm aggressive or, or this, that, or the other. But it, what I encourage is don't kind of label yourself. Um, you're, we, we want to be conservative on short-term type goals. If you want to buy a car in the next three years, we don't want to take a lot of risk with that money. But if you know that retirement's not for another 15 to 20 years and that you're planning to retire at, say, 65 and that money is supposed to last for 30 years um, or whatever the time frame might be, uh, we, have a, we, we can afford to take risk given the time horizon we have. So, uh, and honestly, I think it's very important for individuals to see one thing that I've, I've found is, is really key to look at is if you don't take risk, that can be a, a risky decision as well, because you have to save quadruple the amount if you're going to leave all of your retirement funds in a savings account. Um, and so I think it's really important sometimes if you can't do it yourself to even uh, meet with a planner and just say, if, if I want to be conservative, how much do I need to save? And if, the, if that amount is not feasible, then it says we need to take on some level of risk, maybe not crazy risk. Um, but uh, it also goes back to the idea of we're not trading on a daily basis. We want to have a long-term approach to our, our investment strategies. Um, so I think that labeling yourself as I'm this way or I'm that way can be very harmful. And that if you give purpose and time horizon to each one of your uh, accounts. One of the things I, I do in the um, uh, in the new book is I discuss the idea of, of a net worth statement. We're all pretty familiar with you have your assets and you have your liabilities and, that, and that's your net worth. Um, but what I think is really important to do is add two components to that net worth statement. Uh, the first is you have your assets listed. Give a purpose to every one of those assets. What is this account for? Is this for, you know, cash reserves? Is this for education, for retirement? Oh, and what time horizon does that, that, that reserve have? And then finally, take a look and see, based on how I have it invested, what estimated rate of return should I get with this type of portfolio? We are right now in close to the lowest interest rate environment we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Right? You know, if your money's in a city in a checking savings or even a money market or CD, you're getting, if you're lucky, maybe a half a percent, um, especially for short term uh, type, type items. So if you're going to put an IRA or something like that into a conservative account, you know what type of return that portfolio is going to get in this environment. Um, so I think when you can say, well, I'm not planning on touching this for that period of time, I can view this as a more aggressive portfolio, or this should be a more aggressive portfolio, whereas my cash reserves are money that I'm not going to be playing with and I'm not going to be uh, fooling around with. Um, and it also puts everybody on the same page. It goes back to that uh, discussion, especially with couples who may have differing opinions on uh, conservative versus aggressive. If we know the time horizon, we know that the purpose of this account is this. It's easier, more easy to justify why we're taking the risk associated with that portfolio. Wow, that's really kind of neat. Um, just hearing you and, and the way you're doing it with your books and everything, I, I was sort of thinking that sounds like being a financial planner, at least for you, maybe, is 
part psychologist, right, around this. And maybe you need to get the PhD at the end next. I don't know. But did you feel that way, especially because you're looking at the behavioral side of it and everything else? And do, do people really understand that? And I'm sorry, I keep going here. Like when you're sitting them down, is this sort of the first time they're talking about some of these things? There's a lot there. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, uh, going back to the point, uh, actually, that, that Paul F. made Paul before. Yes. Uh, uh, a lot of times uh, people come to meet with a financial planner after they've experienced a life event. Um, so, uh, for example, a family member dies and there wasn't a, a will in place. Um, uh, I actually, in the, in the original, well, uh, I won't get too far, but but yes, um, the, the idea is that uh, somebody gets hit by a major tax issue or there's a disability that takes place um, and that the family wasn't prepared for that scenario. So we see something happen and we're like, I do not want that to happen to me. Now it's top priority in my mind. I don't know how to address it, so I want to meet with somebody who can help me address it. And And absolutely, those kind of foundational items are as or more important than the, the, the investment side. We, we can usually you know, work more or work longer or cut, cut certain expenses, but if you don't prepare for those kind of what ifs in life, um, life gets very difficult very quickly. And part of my reason for having a passion for helping families is that it's not just you that's uh, being impacted by something happening, it's, it's the entire family. Um, even if you have a spouse where one is stay at home and the other one works, the stay at home parent, uh, if, if, with children involved and whatnot, they have incredible value. You can't just say, I'm going to keep doing my job. Um, if, if something happens to that stay at home parent, my, um, my wife runs a, a nonprofit children's choir and does an incredible job with it and, and does some, also some part-time work in the music industry. Um, uh, but she's, a stellar, incredible mother. And I know that if something happened to her, if I want to still give my children the, the life, the, 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 the things that we've given to them, there's no way that I could do that and continue doing what I'm doing as a financial professional. Um, so yes, a lot of it is, um, is kind of going more into the, the, the emotional side of things and understanding what the priorities are and what the what ifs are. And, and saying, just as a family, do we want to look out for each other? A lot of times we think of, well, how much life insurance do I have on myself? A fun question, it's almost like a quiz uh, or test I offer to, to couples, is um, if it's our first meeting and we're talking about insurance needs, I say to, to one spouse, do you know how much life insurance your spouse has? You may know how much you have, but do you know how much your spouse has? Hmm. And you'd be surprised how often the answer is, I'm not really sure. Um, so, and, and that's really the key piece. You, you kind of, you're dependent on what that, th those, um, insurance needs are. You also are dependent on those estate planning type to do's, the, the basic wills, the healthcare directives, power of attorneys all being done. Um, so, so yes, uh, Paul, back to your question. Um, when it comes to the meetings and, and sitting down with families, I, I can share that a lot of my job is bringing to the forefront the underlying emotions on things that we, you know, we, we sometimes don't want to talk about. We, a lot of times, especially with estate planning, it's really hard to talk about guardianship for our children. Um, estate planning, I can say, is one of the things that gets pushed on the back burner the most because it involves a lot of things you don't want to think about. Um, you don't want to think about if something happens to both of us, uh, who's in charge and, um, 
it, but it's also the most key piece because if we don't have that in place, if you have multiple family members and they all love your children, as an example, uh, they're going to fight potentially over who who's going to be responsible if you haven't labeled someone specifically. Um, so it, it, it's it, it's something for you to give you peace of mind and to give them peace of mind. Um, a personal story for me, just real quick, is uh, in 2013, I was in a car accident um, where, driving into work where the back half of my car was basically flattened uh, on, on the highway. And, and the kids' car seats, fortunately, the kids were not there, were up in the roof of the car um, in the back. Uh, very well-built car, uh, Honda Accord, so I'll, I'll, I'll give them a shout out. Mm -hmm. But uh, the front half did not get impacted. The back half was smashed. Um, but why I bring up that story is... I was, I was in shock, but when I got out of the car, the only things running through my head were, thank goodness I had done my estate planning and thank goodness I had life protection if something had happened to me. Um, and I know that that's a financial planner's mindset maybe, uh, but um, uh, it, it's something that really comes to life. Um, uh, my sister, I, in, the, in the book I also talk about, she had an example where she and her husband, when their children were very young, were intending to take their first trip together since the kids had been born. And the week prior, she was terrified because she realized that they hadn't done their estate planning yet. And she did not want to get on that plane on the crazy chance that something could happen without knowing that those things were in order. So um, a lot of the behavioral side uh, and the emotional side is addressing the what ifs so you don't have to worry about them. Um, once you've addressed them, then you can move forward. And I, I think that that's the, the nicest piece. The most successful families I've worked with are the ones that systematize as much as possible. Just like when you put money into the 401k, it's automatically happening. You don't see it taking place. Uh, if you address the protection needs, then you know it's done. And then you can actually have a much clearer mind of not having to worry about coming from the worrier, uh, not having to worry about all these different things. And you can actually focus on your goals and your dreams versus having to wonder, am I on track for this? Or am I doing that? Or do I need to address whatever it might be? Yeah, that's very smart. I know that when my kids were, when my first son was about to be born, um, that's when it kicked in and I went to my attorney and we had the wills done, right? And they went through the airplane scenario, right? And, okay, you're, you're both in the, you're, you're in a plane, it goes down, you know, what happens to your wife, vice versa, if you're all on the plane, you know, all these different scenarios. And it was great to kind of walk that through. You've got, you've actually prompted in my mind, I think you have to care and feed those documents over time. Mine are probably due for an upgrade <laughs> now that the kids are older. Um, you know, some of those things that we had allotted in the paperwork um, are, are no longer valid, right? So I thank you for kind of bringing that to the forefront. Um, one of the questions I had, and I was reading this, you know, when I was going through and prepping for the show, and, and this is actually close to my heart, but can you tell me a little bit about your family life and how your focus is on helping children's hospitals through charity and volunteerism? Um, absolutely. Uh, as I said, uh, I started a family in the career and I've seen a lot of families throughout my career. And um, uh, there are things we can control and helping families that are stable and, and have um, uh, have the ability to, to do great things, not only for themselves, but for their children is a wonderful thing. Um, the one thing that uh, we can't that some families can't control is if their child gets sick. The child did not do anything to cause themselves to get sick. Um, they, they, I, I'm not saying that adults necessarily do, but as adults, we do take a bit more ownership of um, the decisions we make. If we're you know, smoking or, or, or take, eating poorly or whatever it might be, but, but kids don't, don't have that choice. 
and um, my passion has definitely always been uh, just helping families that are in that type of need because I can only imagine the emotional toil that, that they go through um, just trying to act strong for their little ones. Um, and you, know, you do, you, you have to put on this, this, I don't want to call it a facade, but you, a, a face of strength so that the children feel safe and secure. And yet you, inside it, it's an emotional roller coaster. So, so yes, I, I think that not only the emotional side, but of course the financial side is impactful as well on those families. So um, for me, there's always been a, a passion of trying to find ways to, for the families that are healthy, protect the family and prepare for what if scenarios. Uh, so that if something happens, it's not just the parents we're worried about, it's also the kids. Um, but for those families that are in positions that they couldn't control, trying to find ways to help support them through uh, various charitable organizations. I have a great compassion for Duke Children's Hospital, which is close to me, um, UNC Children's, um, Children's Miracle Network. Uh, so um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And they're, the honest truth is that kids can't ask for the help themselves. I mean, unless it, some can act and whatnot, but the reality is that they don't know what's going on. And um, I kind of try to put myself in that position of, you know, just imagining what it would be like to be in that parent's shoes. And, and honestly, I have such a great appreciation for the doctors and nurses who also can be that strength and that encouragement and that compassion for for the, these children that are in need. So, yes, it's it's very much a, a very personal thing to me, as you can imagine. No, yeah. Right yeah, I was, I was going to say, I do some work. Um, I've worked with the Ronald McDonald House Charities, and so very similar. Um, I, I smell another podcast here, potentially. <laughs> I know one of the problems. I mean, I think with families that are in those situations, um, there's so much to worry about. Um, finances are on the back burner, right? Maybe there is some sort of podcast here to kind of help with that or think through how do you help families? I don't even know how, right? Like it's so daunting. It's so scary um, just from seeing how this can unfold and unravel very quickly. The financial part gets put on the back burner, but that is typically something that is incredibly impacted when it comes to that type of thing. So maybe that's something we could bring you on in the future. Maybe we could discuss a topic around that, Anthony, um, to, to kind of post on the podcast. Um, Paul, any questions or additional questions before we wrap? Uh, no, you know, I was thinking about one thing, sort of taking us back to just the uh, maybe a little bit softer side of it. How about that? Uh, that was pretty deep there for a while. And um, But uh, you, you brought up the fact about uh, trading versus investing. Right, we were talking about there. There's a basically an app out there, and you're not. We won't get named the company, but you know, it bells and whistles go off when you make a trade, and it has proven to be somewhat addictive. And I believe there was some government movement around that app and, and trying to kind of de-gamify it, right? Because that's what they did. They made it a game to get people hooked, um, like a Candy Crush almost, as you were, you were saying. So. Uh, Interesting tidbit there, especially differentiating between trading and investing. And I don't think a lot of people understand the difference, and there clearly is. There clearly is. So that's a great point there. And uh, I'm going to hand it off to Paul. Okay, great. So, Anthony, what we typically do is we, we kind of wrap up the show with some summary recaps and some lessons learned. Um, for me personally, 
it was about the BFA, uh, realizing that behavior ties into this financial piece from emotions perspective, um, the emotions and money, which, you know, that's the tie. And then this puzzle box, what you had said early in the podcast, that was amazing. Like I just that that little snippet of I could picture it as you dump it out. And you're like, oh, my God, how do I start? And then all of a sudden you start putting the frame together and then more puzzle pieces start to fit and then more start to fit. And then it's like a, like a snowball. So thank you for that. I love that 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 analogy that you used. Uh, Paul, I'll let you go next, and we'll give Anthony the final word. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, so Paul and I usually do this where we have a lot of the same things. So I'm going to pick some other ones that I that resonated with me. But yeah, the puzzle box was great and such. But the the purpose of each asset, you know, I, I personally hadn't thought about that. I have a list of everything and what I'm, you know, but I don't have that column saying. What, what is the purpose of this? And, and I think that's a great way to look at it and, and think it through. And also you can almost, I think you were sort of alluding to this, right? What is the risk tolerance for each of those assets, right? To, to help you maybe not as a whole, as an individual, I'm more risky versus not, but maybe for each one of those, you could label it that way too. That's what I took away from it. And I'll probably be doing that tonight. Um, the other, there are two other things. I got two. I got more here, right? This is a good, great episode. Uh, plan before a major event happens. You know, you had said the first time people come to a financial planner is after a major event, and this isn't the first time we've heard this from from a financial planner. We we heard it recently as well from others. That's really that, that that's great. And trying to find the one that you personally connect with is is really important for our listeners. They, they have to find the right person for them, but planning ahead of time, pre-planning is, is key. And then the uh, trade versus investing, which we already talked about, that that is really great differentiating those two. So thank you. I, I got a lot out of today's episode and hopefully our listeners do as well. So uh, Dan, uh, Anthony, off to, off to you. Sorry about that. I had an email pop up that said, Dan, and you're not Dan, you're Anthony. It's all good. I've been there more times than I can count. Um, Paul and Paul, I just want to say thank you both. This I also very much enjoyed this. And um, if there's any final takeaway I would just offer is um, you are worth it for, for, the, for the listeners. And uh, getting over the fear of being judged is probably the biggest thing I can stress. That if you want to take care of yourself, whether you go to the gym and you're out of shape, or you go to meet with a financial planner and you, you may not have the best looking financial picture, um, they're just there to help you. If you, a trainer's there to help you, a coach is there to help you, a, an advisor's there to help you. Um, if you ever feel like you're being judged, find somebody else um, because uh, this is your journey. This is your dash. Um, going back to owning the dash and uh, it, it bring the people into your life that do you know, improve that and, and care about you. Um, and, and there are lots of people out there. There's a lot of good in the world, even though sometimes we turn on the news and it's a little scary. Uh, we also can see a lot of good and, and people that want to support each other. So um, uh, that, that would be my big takeaway. And uh, thank you both again. This has been wonderful. Yeah. And Anthony, one last thing. Where can, where can people find you? Um, I'm sure your book is on certain sites and your website. Can, feel free to kind of uh, how can people get in touch with you or, or get, you know, get your book? Absolutely. The best place to go would be um, – uh, www.owningthedash.com, uh, O-W-N-I-N-G, the-dash.com. Uh, and uh, from there, I do have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, Twitter page, uh, so, so lots of areas. Uh, also can connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Um, but uh, in terms of where the books are available, um, my original book as well as my uh, children's picture book are, are both available on Amazon. Um, and the links are all on the website. Uh, also, Barnes & Noble, other, other locations. Uh, the new book actually comes out uh, on April 12th. And uh, to, for your listeners, I'll let you know that there's a little uh, pretty nice promotion that it will be happening on opening day. So if they're looking to pre-order, uh, they may find a significant discount uh, happening during that time. Um, and I did mention also that the um, Owning the Dash kids book uh, is the first in a series. So there will actually be uh, two additional children's books coming out later this year that also address a different avenue or area of um, uh, financial planning and financial life. And if you visit the website, you'll be able to see one of those books already uh, popping up. So a, a little teaser there. Very cool. Uh, Very cool. Well, mm -hmm. well, Paul and Anthony, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.